Welcome to our Harvard Macy Institute podcast. Connecting our Harvard Macy community and discussing health professions, education topics and literature. Leadership in healthcare. We all agree it's important, but what is leadership anyway? And who should our leaders be? Uh, And how do those people develop their skills? Welcome to episode two of the Harvard Macy Institute podcast. I'm Victoria Brazel, and today I'm joined by a couple of guests to think on these topics. So first to introduce is Kathy Green, who's an ophthalmologist and a health professions educator. She's the founder and director of the leadership development programs of the Asia Pacific Academy of Ophthalmology and also the Royal Australian College, uh, Australian and New Zealand College of Ophthalmologists. She more relevant to this discussion, is also an Associate Professor and Deputy Director of the Monash Institute for Health and Clinical Education. How are you, Cathy? I'm well, thank you, Victoria. That's good. And I want to sort of start with you here before I introduce Grant, because you're the first author on the paper we're going to be discussing, Developing Leadership Skills in Young Ophthalmologists by yourself, Alp Attic and Marg Hay. And that came out just last November in the Annals of Eye Science. Uh, and this is going to be featured in our upcoming Leadership and Innovation in Health program, which is part of the Macy Monash collaboration uh, in February. So give me a little sense, just so our listeners have got a headline here. You know, why did you write this? And uh, let's get the take-home messages out right at the beginning. Well, the short answer is I wrote it because it was an invited paper. It was a, an edition dedicated to education, ophthalmic education. But the reason I was invited to write the paper is because of my involvement in the leadership development programs of the Asia Pacific Academy of Ophthalmology and RANSCO, our local college of ophthalmology. So it was an invitation, but also an opportunity to disseminate some of the ideas and thoughts that we've developed through the leadership development programs, because it's, it's not all that well known. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Grant, let's bring you in here. So Grant Phelps is a gastroenterologist turned medical executive, so quite the leader himself, uh, with an academic and professional interest in building better healthcare leaders for better healthcare systems. Uh, He's an associate professor of clinical leadership at Deakin uh, and has also held major roles at organisational system policy and profession level. So Grant, this is a pretty easy to say, isn't it? Leaders, leadership important? Is it all just a little bit trendy? Uh, What did you think about this idea of writing a paper on leadership? Uh, Victoria, Cathy, good morning. Thank you for asking me to contribute to this really important discussion. At the risk of uh, paraphrasing uh, Roy and HG, those uh, well-known healthcare thinkers, too much leadership development is barely enough at times. And I think we are in an interesting time in in Australian healthcare in particular where leadership and leadership development has to some extent become uh, the answer to to many of our health system woes. I I guess what I've observed over the journey is that the clinical community, and I'm using that term clinician really widely, uh, are recognising a need to step up and, and take leadership responsibility for some of the improvements that, that we need. I'm really supportive of, of individual craft groups or individual groups of clinicians uh, learning and developing their leadership uh, skills and capabilities uh, because I think without without that knowledge and without those skills, leadership often fails. And I'm, I'm 
really keen to see the professions do what we can to best equip our people, our teams, our, our system for effective change. And in my mind, at the end of the day, that's really the principal purpose of leadership development. Yeah, uh, I love quoting Roy on HG. May not be known to our international listeners, but I'll put a uh, link into some of their better work. Might be useful. Uh, Kathy, let's um, take those comments of Grant's and come back to the paper here, because I think one of the things that you start out with in this paper is the definitional issues. Uh, you know, it is hard, easy to say and yet hard to be precise about what leadership is. We know from the organisational literature there's debates about how much of this is innate, how much of this can be developed. But give us your take on what do we mean when we're talking about leadership and then what do we mean by it when we're talking about it in the clinical uh, arena? Victoria, you're right. I mean, I think one of the main issues that we struggle with in developing leadership development programs is trying to define what leadership is. And as I said in the paper, there are so many definitions. However, I think the common thing is someone who can build a vision or, or develop a vision and then sell the vision to allow people to come along with them to achieve a common goal. But it's about convincing people that this is something that we should be doing rather than forcing people to do something that they're not interested in. Uh-huh. So there's a central issue here relating to influence. Uh, and I guess, and again, we know this from the organisational literature, that then makes a distinction between leadership uh, and leadership positions, which uh, may be related but may actually be quite separate. Is that correct? That is correct. And I think in hierarchical organizations uh, of which uh, healthcare profession structures often are people are often put into positions not because of their leadership skills but because of other attributes such as academic excellence or their research profile which may not necessarily lend them to being excellent leaders and then they find that they need to develop those leadership skills on the hop yeah, well, let's, uh, again, Grant, I know this is something you wanted to talk about. If this is a particular skill set and maybe other people are trained to it and we've been pretty busy learning how to be doctors or nurses or researchers, um, should clinicians even be in there? Why don't I'm going to be provocative here. Why don't we uh, just abdicate that responsibility and let the professionals uh, be in charge? Uh, it's a great question. and It exercises uh, a lot of us on a daily basis, uh, Victoria. I I come back to the starting point. Leadership's about driving change, and leadership for me is about a set of individual behaviours that uh, encourage others to change, encourage others to do something differently. For me, healthcare leadership is about healthcare improvement. I would argue that leadership is a core skill set of most doctors. Uh, our job is to encourage our patients to do something different, um, to change their lifestyle, to take a long-term course of medication, to undergo a procedure or an operation. In essence, we're demonstrating our leadership in every clinical encounter we have. I think the challenge for, for many clinicians, though, is translating that leadership, that sense of individual change, into an organisational context because it's simply untenable in a 2020 health system for any team, any service, any structure to not change. Change is a constant, and it's my very firm view that the profession, all, all clinical professions, but particularly the medical profession, needs to be at the forefront of driving the system level changes that we need. Yes, and I think that's 
quite important to really understand what it is we're developing towards. And uh, Cathy, I might come back to you because there's a nice list on page three of your article uh, taking the very specific example of ophthalmologists and you talk about what is the sort of leadership that is required and you're talking about generic skills uh, but also, say, leading in surgical teams, uh, being involved in healthcare governance and management, but also leadership as educators, uh, leadership um, as advocates in terms of uh, policy and um, health issues, uh, and leadership as uh, innovators' uh, uh, role as well. So that must have taken a little bit of thinking about. Have you got some comments on uh, you know how you think about those leadership roles? I've been thinking about these things for about 10 years now. Uh, this was an opportunity to break it down into, uh, I suppose, an accessible list to try and convince ophthalmologists who are potential leaders or, or already leaders to show them that there are many diverse aspects of leadership that are all highly relevant. And I would argue that every ophthalmologist reading that list would be able to relate to at least some of those points. So it was written to try and convince people that this is relevant to us as a profession and to us as individual professionals. Uh, as opposed to a Ghana interest, because sometimes leadership seems like this abstract thing that is only relevant to inverted commas, the leaders, who the people in those leadership positions, and perhaps people don't relate to themselves as leaders. Yeah, it sounds like you both uh, feel the need to convince people that leadership is what we do every day. And I think that is part of the issue that we're dealing with in terms of people's conceptualization of leadership as being about people in charge and having designated roles. So I guess that also then makes us turn towards thinking about how we develop leaders because that means there's a great tendency that it's not until you become a CEO of a hospital or a uh, even a departmental director that you start to think about these things, whereas I think both of you are saying this needs to be quite the pipeline. Uh, Grant, can I start with you from some more generic concepts? Uh, you've been involved with both undergraduate, postgraduate training, and this is particularly in medicine, but clearly relevant to other professions as well. Uh, tell us how you think this sort of pipeline should evolve. A great question. I, I, my principal involvement in leadership development over the most recent years, uh, Victoria, has been around uh, master's level leadership development for clinicians across the full spectrum. And one of the great joys of that work has been bringing together clinicians from all disciplines for a shared leadership experience. And, and I've, that's become really important to my way of thinking about the world. Healthcare is now delivered in a team based context. Our healthcare organisations are are organised by and large around healthcare teams. And so my view, in essence, is that we should be developing and expressing our leadership in that team-based context. And in 2020, our patients and our community need to be seen to be part of that team as well. So I, I think that sort of thinking needs to be brought back into our undergraduate programs or, or our, our primary degree programs. Um, and we should be using that term leadership and embedding that in the conversations and the learning we had at that level. So I think there is a spectrum here, but I do absolutely believe that this needs to start in undergraduate years with a subtle change in the way we talk about learning. 
Yeah, and it sounds like some of the things that you're saying often are badged at medical school and other stages of training as ethical dilemmas, as advocacy dilemmas, as clinical decision-making, whereas I think what you're saying is all of these will have a lot of the skills and attributes that we would put under the umbrella of leadership that are central to having being able to deal with those situations. Uh I am interested before we come back to the leadership development to explore that leadership and management. And Kathy, tell me what you think, because I kind of feel like I've made a bit of a study over the last 10 years personally of avoiding leadership positions, because I really do find a lot of the management very challenging, you know, managing HR, managing other things. Uh, I guess this must come up a fair bit as you start to think what's in these kinds of programs and what isn't, and trying to help people get over the challenges they have with one aspect or the other i think i agree with grant that that they are the flip sides of the same coin management and leadership and and inseparable i I think when you talk about management though those are the things that are more easily defined that they are skills that can be specified and, and specifically targeted and taught and once you break those things down and 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 clinicians are very good at learning new skills that's what we've done all our lives but if you break it down into something that is achievable and specific, it makes it more accessible because otherwise it seems to be this kind of mysterious thing. And as, as you point out, sometimes our experiences in dealing with management are not always positive. Uh, there's often in hospitals a kind of a standoff between the clinicians and the managers. And I, I really think that teaching uh, doctors better management and leadership skills will go a long way to breaking down that divide and seeing that we are also just all trying to achieve the same thing. So speaking the same language and understanding what the drivers are and the the, the challenges for managers and translating that into the challenges that we face as clinicians. Yes, so you're saying they're tangible. So that might be something like knowing how to use some project management software. That might be something like understanding sort of governance frameworks and organisational flowcharts, whereas what you're saying is leadership is a little less tangible than some of those things. Can I just uh, jump into this, Victoria? I think about episodes of failed leadership in healthcare organisations. When you drill into it, it's actually failure of management. Uh, And as doctors in particular, we're often not very good at all at doing that base-level management work that's so essential to an effective organisation. I would also argue that understanding governance is really important. I think some major failures of leadership that I've seen, not necessarily in hospitals but in other organisations, is poor governance structures but also poor literacy with governance so so not adhering to to the frameworks and that creates issues with miscommunication and uh you know problems with with leadership absolutely agree i think if we can just broaden the conversation out a little further one of the things that concerns me very much about the doctor well-being issue which is very much at the forefront of all of our minds at the moment is that I see much of that relating to the difficulties that people have navigating the complexity of healthcare organisations and much of that I think is because governance is poorly understood. How organisations work, how you get things done, how you achieve results in a complex business setting like a healthcare organisation is enormously important and I completely agree that we need to help people understand that to give them the best chance of a successful career. All right, I'm going to be a little bit provocative here again. I wonder, don't we also have a bit of a 
cultural issue here. And as three doctors, I guess I'm going to go out on a limb and say some of our doctor colleagues are a bit entitled. They think that because they're doctors, they should be in charge and they bring with them a little bit of a cult of the individual. Not all doctors are team players, Grant. I know that's hard to believe. (laughs) Uh, And sometimes I feel like doctors have a bit of a disdain for the details that we might frame up as management, but which we know are absolutely uh, critical to actually getting anything done, even if you think you're so clever and you've got a really big, bright idea. Um, Kathy, you're prepared to uh, challenge my assertions about the cultural difficulties with doctors? Um, not, not to challenge them, but to agree. I, I think um, healthcare systems have been quite hierarchical and doctors have placed themselves at the top of that hierarchy, rightly or wrongly. There is a disdain. There's a kind of a like, well, management, uh, uh, you know, just making my life difficult. But also other health professionals are not always equally valued by doctors. And I think that in a uh, in our new health system where we're going to be wor- working more in teams and having interdisciplinary teaching and learning, we should aim to break those barriers. Grant, do you think we're any closer? Are doctors of the new generation less uh, prone to these dilemmas? I think when they come out of modern medical schools, they are, Victoria, but I think we then expose them to the hidden curriculum of the workplace. And very rapidly, we see them take on the behaviours of those who are providing their supervision. Implicit in the the idea of uh, of leadership is the concept of followership. Kathy's right. Leaders set agendas. They set a, set a direction. They create a strategy. The challenge then is bringing people with you. And we all know that doctors are individualistic. We all know they want to be in charge of their own kingdom. But there are times when you actually need everybody to line up around a key and an agreed goal. Um, I think part of followership is actually about effective leadership. And if you look at the literature on followership, most of the behaviours that we expect of followers are actually the behaviours we expect of leaders. We need people to understand that in their day-to-day work, when they're bringing their team of junior doctors along, when they're having difficult conversations with each other and with their patients, that's about leadership. Yeah, super important. Uh, Your comments there about how the young doctors and I you know, would say, I think this is the same in all professions, quickly assume the culture of the organisation. And I think that's a nice segue into shifting to talking about the development of leaders and leadership. And there's a nice uh, point in the paper here, Cathy, on page five about uh, how do people learn leadership or develop or shape leadership. And I think there's a great tendency to think this is a workshop that you go to that's entitled leadership, but you really make the point here that so much of this is about mentoring and coaching, networking, uh, action learning is the term that you use, actually doing things in the workplace and trying to then reflect upon them, uh, getting things like 360-degree feedback, having particular projects like stretch assignments for people to do. Did you want to tell us a little bit more your thoughts about that? Yes, I I think it's important that leadership should be understood to be a journey and it's professional and personal development and it doesn't happen overnight. And leadership is about connecting with people and so that's learning from people but also 
teaching and um, mentoring others. So that's why we place such an emphasis on, on networking. And in our programs that we run, we, the stretch assignment is really important. It's a project that is designed to do something that you wouldn't have otherwise done. We're all very familiar with clinical studies, etc. And we, we make a point that the, the project should not be clinical. It should be something related to leadership, related to building teams or, or advocacy or something like that, that participants would not have otherwise been prompted to do. So can you give us an example of what might be a stretch assignment for one of your ophthalmology attendees? Oh, a recent project from the RANSCO Leadership Development Program was a young doctor was interested in our real preparation for practice. We know that ophthalmologists trained in Australia and New Zealand are very good surgeons. They're very well trained for clinical aspects of ophthalmology. But she had noticed that most ophthalmologists graduating had no idea about how to prepare for a private practice, which the great majority of us work in. So she uh, undertook a survey to find out the pre preparedness for practice and, and found that her suspicions were accurate and then she actually put together a program aimed at senior trainees and recently qualified ophthalmologists to address this gap. Grant, can I come to you because I suppose when we talk about these programs, one of the ways to deal with some of the team issues that we were talking about is to go through these programs with a more diverse group? Do you just do a leadership development program for young ophthalmologists or do you do it with all medical specialists and trainees or do you actually say we want all health professionals in here and get a little bit more of a diverse and robust mix? Um, what are your thoughts about the sort of benefits and risks of each approach? Um, I think the, the right answer, Victoria, is that you need to do all of that. Um, I think as individuals, as craft groups, we all need to develop our own uh, individual and collective leadership capability, but we express our leadership these days in a very much in a team-based environment, and Kathy's right to allude to that. And for me, the way to do that in our healthcare systems now is is increasingly around the clinical improvement piece. That how do we improve healthcare delivery? Uh, that's a terrific way of building. Um, to use Kathy's language, stretch assignments. G give a team a task, create a goal, uh, resolve a problem, but do it together. Huh? In my experience, that's a fantastic way to both express our individual and our shared leadership, but also to create what is nirvana here, I think, for those of us in healthcare leadership and management roles, which is shared learning and organisational learning. And that's why you'll see in many organisations now uh, quite deliberately clinical improvement work being dressed up as a shared leadership activity or exercise. And I'm, I'm strongly of that view. I think that's how we transform healthcare. And to come back to my central thesis, that's the purpose of healthcare leadership. All right. So uh, I'm hearing some words here, Cathy, and I'm going to put the skeptic's hat back on. Organisational learning, shared leadership. And one of the things that you come to in the paper is where's the proof that any of this works? Because I can imagine people going, yes, that's all great management speak, but does this really help? And you talk in your paper about the challenges of measuring the impact of leadership development. Uh, tell us more about that. It was very 
difficult in the beginning to convince people even to support the leadership development programs. And that was from the incumbent leaders saying, well, we never had any of this, so why why does it matter? So once we overcame that, we needed to start showing that that this was working. And the the crux of it was really when I was able to demonstrate in the Asia-Pacific Academy of Ophthalmology that the graduates from the leadership development program were actually taking on leadership roles in their own societies, but also joining committees of the APAO. So that all the committees that they're probably about up to 20 committees, each of which do different things within the organization, Um, having younger ophthalmologists taking on roles and bringing new ideas um, and and able to show them that the direct impact on the organization for investing in the program actually was was paying dividends and that people were more engaged in the organization. But it is difficult to prove and I would be most interested in finding out the impact sort of down the track. So 10 years from now, uh, what, what the impacts have been. And, and as, as Grant says, the impact is most important when it comes to patient outcomes and healthcare improvement. And I would love to find a way of measuring that. Well, Grant, uh, as with an academic interest in leadership, I guess you must have come across this idea of how do we prove, where's the proof? And yeah. I guess I'm going to say there's probably more proof of harm from leadership lapses. Would that be fair to say? Yes, I think it, I think it is. I think if you look at every health system that's failed globally and including in Australia, in each of them you can point very clearly to an absence of leadership or an absence of effective leadership, and we we clearly recognise that that has a cost attached to it. So that's negative proof, if you like. I agree with Cathy. I think there are some proxy measures you can put in place, and the greater engagement of folks with leadership activities is a very good proxy measure. But I, I also agree with Cathy that this does take time, and unfortunately in healthcare, particularly in such a highly politicised environment as most Western healthcare systems, we often don't necessarily sit back and take the time to look at the long-term impact of effective leadership. The other challenge in healthcare is that change is tough. I mean, we know when a new evidence-based medication or evidence-based clinical approach first appears, it can often take 10 to 15 to 20 years for that to become embedded in routine clinical practice. And I would argue that, that leadership and management practice is no different. We take a long time sometimes to take on board practices which the rest of the business world would regard as routine. And a good example, and you've alluded to it already, is is around multi-source feedback. Well used, widely used across many business settings, not very well used yet in in healthcare leadership and, and particularly in medical leadership context. So that's a nice example, I think, of how how difficult it is to do effective leadership in a difficult healthcare setting. Yeah, and as you say, the demonstration of impact of leadership on outcomes, but then even a step back, the impact that leadership development improves leadership, which then improves outcomes. These are going to be tricky research designs to uh, set out. 
just a little small point, Grant, sort of diverging off to the side here. One of the things that you were quite interested in talking about was the role of social media, uh, either in leadership and influence or indeed in leadership development. And here we are banging on on a podcast, hoping people listen to it and get some great ideas. But uh, you are quite busy on Twitter and other platforms. Uh, Tell us, how do you see social media fitting into this? Look, I, I, there is a view in, in the leadership world that if you're not active in social media, you're not active as a leader, and I, I kind of share that. I think this is how people are talking to each other now. It's certainly how our junior colleagues are talking to each other. It's, it's frankly also how our patients and our community are talking to each other about their healthcare experience. So I'm increasingly of a view that healthcare leadership needs to be expressed through social media. We obviously need to be very careful about how we do that. Our regulator has some very clear guidance about how we as doctors should do that. But within that overarching framework, I find it a really useful tool to do what we're doing today, to create conversations about about leadership, to create conversations about healthcare, to create conversations about how we can uh, make a difference to the system. The, the tool that I'm most familiar with and use, use the most for this is Twitter, which I, I regard as being a fantastic leadership tool. One of the tenet, central tenets of leadership is to simplify complexity. And I found it really useful to think about how I can fit complex leadership messages into 280 characters or less. It's, it's quite a discipline. Um, and I would encourage everybody who's interested in healthcare leadership to start to think about how they can use social media to Firstly, to learn, it's a fabulous tool, but secondly, to express their own individual leadership. All right, so we're sort of drawing to the end of this discussion. I'm just going to recap here. We've talked a fair bit about leadership and leadership in healthcare, about how it being a process of influence and supporting change. Uh, We know that, in fact, in many ways, leadership is what clinicians do every day in multiple roles. We also know that leadership development is pretty multifaceted, drawing on the skills and attributes that people have and then shaping them towards I guess, the healthcare problems that we've got in the present. Uh, the last thing I want to do, Kathy, before I ask both of you for some take-home messages is I did want to come back to the paper and just ask you a little bit about, you know, how you write this. You had a couple of co-authors. Uh, it was a commentary piece. I guess it's a call to action, trying to both convince your uh, craft group colleagues that this is a good idea as well as provide a bit of a roadmap about how. Um, give us an insight or two about um, writing a paper like this. It was an opportunity for me to... I suppose, put down on paper a number of thoughts that I'd had, but leadership is about collaboration as well. So I wanted to involve people who have a shared interest and a shared vision. Um, Marg Hay was an obvious choice because she is an example of excellent leadership in healthcare. She's inspirational and a mentor for me. And of course, she runs the wonderful leadership and innovation in healthcare course at the Monash Institute for Health and Clinical Education. And, and my boss. boss, yes, of course. <laughs> but only uh, <laughs> only after we wrote the paper, in fact. Um, oh, Alp yeah. Attic is a glaucoma fellow at the Royal Victorian Iron Ear Hospital. And he, I believe, is a future leader in ophthalmology. He has ideas about leadership and importantly the culture of leadership and and how how leaders can influence the culture of an organization so uh, it was also an opportunity to involve a younger ophthalmologist because I think it's important to have diversity of perspectives yes absolutely and I think uh, reading your paper made me think back to many of the lessons I 
learned at Harvard Macy about different forms of scholarship and uh, showing a rigorous reflection on what you're currently doing uh, and disseminating that to others is one of these forms of scholarship that we're talking about. It doesn't have to be a randomised control trial of leadership development versus no leadership development. Absolutely. All right, so perhaps I can uh, prompt you both now for a couple of take-home messages and I'd like these to be from the point of view of uh, clinician educators listening to our podcast, uh, the people who specifically are going to be attending in Melbourne in a few weeks' time. Uh, what do you think are our both personal and then more strategic aims uh, that we should be thinking about in terms of supporting leadership development for clinicians? Uh, Kathy, I'll go to you first. I think the first thing is just to keep talking about it, to normalise it and, and uh, make it not an extra thing that you add in after you've qualified. It's something that should be embedded in um, health professions education from the very beginning. I think these should be talked of as critical professional skills and uh, I suppose regarded as that, embedded in the curriculum, explicit teaching and learning and also assessment. Ah, excellent. Grant, your thoughts? So if I reflect on my own journey over what's now a longish career, I, I, I want to pick up something Cathy said. I think leadership is a journey. Uh, we've, we've tended to, I think, promote the idea that leadership can be learnt in a simple workshop. It's not. It's a journey. And if I'm really honest with myself, I, two things had to happen for me. Firstly, I needed to be working in the system for long enough to deeply understand it, and that takes real time. We, we exist in a very complex healthcare environment, and and that takes many years to learn. But I think the second thing for me that was really important, and I encourage everybody to think about this, is this idea of leading self uh, as a core attribute of effective leadership. You really do have to know yourself. You have to understand uh, your weaknesses. You have to be able to adapt to those weaknesses. And you have to understand how to bring an effective team around you to, to maximise what you bring to the table. And for me, that was pretty tough because I spent many of my early years as a as a doctor, and particularly as a senior doctor, being just the sort of person you described earlier on, Victoria. But, but that insight that comes with time and deep reflection has been enormously important, and I encourage everybody to, to think about that. I guess the third thing I'd say is that there is a leadership opportunity in absolutely everything we do, be, be it that one-to-one -one patient interaction, be it that team-based meeting that we're having, be it a safety and quality conversation, be it a be it a, a, an organisation meeting or a broader professional level or system level conversation. So make the most of every opportunity that you have to learn about the system, to, to understand how leadership can be expressed at various levels of the system and think about how you can learn from that and reflect on, on what you're seeing and learning. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, uh, Harvard Macy Institute podcast listeners, uh, we've been talking about leaders, leadership and leadership development, uh, and I will post a link to the paper that has been the trigger for this discussion by Kathy Green and colleagues, Developing Leadership Skills in Young Ophthalmologists. Kathy, uh, Grant, thank you both very much for your time. Thank you, Victoria. Yeah, thank you, Victoria. Thank you, Kathy. Uh, this is Victoria Brazel signing off for the Harvard Macy Institute podcast. <laughs>